Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of What's on the Menu. Now that I'm back from my hiatus this summer and moved into a new town, I'm hoping to start these podcasts back up again and make them as consistent as possible. Understand that I work basically 12 hours a day, sometimes more. That said, I've been eating plenty of good food, exploring new towns, so we have lots of awesome updates and food episodes to come. If you don't already, go to Instagram, Twitter, follow the What's on the Menu podcast at WOTMPod, and you'll see all of the different reviews that I've got lined up. I've got hundreds of reviews. I'm going to be putting out multiple different pictures, restaurants, whatnot, um, a week. So definitely follow the Instagram there. But today, we're going to be talking about one of the national dishes of the United Kingdom. If you guessed chicken tikka masala, you would be correct. It is only appropriate after the passing of the great Queen Elizabeth II to talk about such an iconic dish in British cuisine. Uh, Having been born and spent a lot of time across the pond myself, um, I feel like it would be a good way to show support. It's also kind of funny um, because I, I believe every foodie has a moment in their life when they realize that food means something extremely important to them and they truly develop a love for it, and and more so than maybe some other people. For me, that moment was living in London, in middle school, probably eating this exact dish that we're going to talk about. But notice how I've refrained from calling it English cuisine. Um, And the reason why is because, you know, while many people believe that the dish was created in England, it was actually made, uh, supposedly, in a hotel restaurant in Scotland in the 1960s. Um, It is also alleged that the head chef who was working in that hotel restaurant at the time was actually either Pakistani or Bangladeshi, not of Indian descent. But it is the Indians that have created uh, the culture around chicken tikka masala in the United Kingdom and have really launched it to the dish that it's become today. Now, if you're a listener that's in America, and has not experienced the immense pleasure of having a traditional version of this dish rather than some Americanized cheap version or some overdone, you know, quote-unquote fancy, non-traditional version, then let me explain to you how the best version of this dish works. To start off with what may be a surprise, I better not see one speck of rice on my plate. Anytime I see a chicken tikka masala and then there's some sort of basmati rice or jasmine rice on the side, I immediately become skeptical. For me, and for the traditional way that I have had it done where the best results come out, there are really only three main things that you're going to have in front of you. Firstly, the naan, the Indian-style piti bread, which is used making a tandoor oven traditionally and... uh, Uh, put in the sides of the oven and allows to create the air pockets where you get kind of this air pocket bubble side and then you have a flat side on the bottom from where it's been sitting in the oven. Um, Fairly simple. Most people know what naan is. The second item, what you may not be familiar with, is cucumber raita, which is a yogurt-like substance. Um, It's cold. It's uh, got different aspects of, you know, small bits of cucumber. It's got, it's got like a creamy taste, but it's still very much like a yogurt. And it's not sweet. It's uh, more like a Greek yogurt that doesn't have that 
berry or vanilla-ish flavor in it. Um, but this is going to act as a substance which will cut the heat from any spices while enhancing the flavor of the sauce when it's put on top. And then finally, of course, the third thing being the curry itself. The curry is a lot of times made uh, with different spices of different sorts in it, but mainly you'll find that it has a tomato-style base with maybe potential actual tomatoes in there, coriander, um, a cream of some sort, uh, and then various smaller spices that uh, add a, a kick to the sauce. Um, it will usually be an orange, but if it's professionally done, done the right way in my opinion, then it'll have a little bit more texturing in the sauce. Uh, it won't look as just plain creamy like a soup. It'll look uh, a little bit more textured. It'll have um, a tint of a brown or a dark red uh, in it as well. Now, with these three simple things, you can create absolute magic. And I'm going to teach you a trick that's going to make you look like a New Delhi pro in no time. It's traditional to eat using your hands in, in Indian and a lot of Eastern uh, cultures. So what you're going to do is actually quite similar when you're eating this dish to how most Americans prefer to consume their food, which is making sandwiches out of the dish. So when you get the naan, tear off a good size square or triangle, and you basically want to use it like a tong to grab the pieces of the chicken in the curry. And you're going to use the bubble side to be what actually touches the chicken and swaps up all the sauce, soaking it all up along the way, but have the non-bubbled side, the flat side, be what you actually touch with your fingers. Um, this is going to give you the maximum flavor and texture uh, combo that you're going to want. And so once you've picked up all that sauce and the chicken, you're going to put it on the rita and boom, pop it in your mouth, almost like a one-biter. Um, this is honestly the greatest experience, eating experience uh, because you can't lose. If you manage to do it cleanly and you don't have any sauce on your fingers or your body, you feel like an absolute champ. And on the other hand, if you have saucy hands, you get that wonderful four-year-old enjoyment of licking your fingers for every last ounce of flavor. It's not too bad of a trick, right? Now, a lot of people will ask, how do you go about applying the raita? And that's a great question. There are two ways, you know, I'll, I'll give you the Neanderthal way and then the Christian Hansen scientifically proven best way to do it. A lot of people will uh, take the whole dish, bowl, whatever the rice is in and just pour it on the curry and basically mix the sauces, making it go from an orange to a lighter orange because the rice is, is white. So um, you're mixing it and what have you, that's fine. You'll get some of the flavor. And, but really all you're doing is you're just making the sauce milder in this case because the chemical reactions that occur are going to make the sauce gel with the raita and with time it's going to slowly kill a lot of the flavors, a lot of the heat that you still want from that bite. It's like when you mix uh, cocoa puffs with milk and eventually the milk gets all chocolatey and then the cocoa puffs get all soggy. It's not a great experience. No one likes soggy cereal. So take that versus you know, that first few bites of cereal where you get the crunch, but at the same time, the milk act, you know, acts as a lubricant to get the cereal down. That is what we're aiming for. And method two, my way, is going to lead you to that nice, strong crunch, good flavor from the cereal while also getting the milk. So like I said before, you're going to eat this with your hands. However, 
I didn't say it is also tradition to wipe your ass with your left hand in India, and so because of that, you're not going to be eating with your left hand. So your right hand is going to be taking the bread, picking up the chicken, swabbing up the sauce. But with your left hand, I would suggest taking a spoon and then dipping it in the raita and then drizzling it over top your little one-biter. That's going to make it act as a flame coolant while also providing you that unique flavor. The mixture of the hot curry with the cold raita is going to create these fireworks in your mouth and boom, there you have it. One of the most amazing dishes when done right, in my opinion, which is in the UK done right a lot of the time. But also, it's extremely easy, incredibly easy to mess up. And it, mostly in the US, it is messed up, which is very disappointing. Um, some of that is because of the access to specific ingredients. Um, you know, for example, I know that you know in the UK, creme fraiche is much more commonplace. Um, which all of that needs to change very much. The U.S. should be using that as well. But, um, you know, just there might be a quality of ingredients thing. There might be a type of ingredients thing. Whatever it is, that, that's going to cause some variance in, in your dish. But a lot of that is also just going to be the development of the cuisine. You know, honestly, Indian in the U.S. in, in general is pretty, pretty underdeveloped outside of certain enclaves, and it's honestly not all that good. You're going to find a lot better Indian in the homes of uh, Indian Americans versus uh, actually going to a restaurant. And to me, it has the highest ceiling of any cuisine. If I take the best chicken tikka masala in the world, I can compare it and put it up against almost any other dish on the planet. It's that good. But the average in the U.S. is a really low floor. So hopefully this will change in time. But let me give you a couple example restaurants where it's done right. Really, there's only one place in the world uh, that's been able, in my opinion, that I've been to, to replicate the way the British do it here in the US. Um, and you know, I'm young. I haven't been to every single place. I'm sure there's some some Indian joint in uh, New York City or um, LA that has it perfected and does it the right way that I just haven't been to, but I haven't been there. The one I have been to in the US, it was called the Copper Bowl in Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places, right? Probably the last place on earth you would think you would find such a gem. But it was there, and I say was, because unfortunately the place, uh, I believe, has since closed. So you might have to check me on that. But it, it's one of those places where you don't get the rice right out the gate. Great sign. The bread is cooked to perfection, you know, you always get the choice of usually, you know, regular or garlic naan. Both are phenomenal. The sauce is done very well. You know, it's it's creamy, but it's it's got a lot of textured in it because of all the different spices that they go that go in there. And it's a thicker sauce, which I enjoy on a on a chicken tikka masala because you know the more watery, more milky it kind of is, then the less enjoyable it is for you to eat. The harder it is to keep things on your little uh, non one biters. And so they do a really good job with that. And then the raita isn't just a regular side item menu. It's something that they actually encourage you take with it. Um, a lot of times people will almost hide it on the menu, the raita, which I always thought is weird. Um, it's something that I, I think should be a lot more commonplace in American um, Indian cuisine. But there's another place that has also closed, I believe, deserves a shout out, and that is Masala in Cobham, England. 
um, which to this day is, was, whatever you want to say, still my favorite Indian restaurant on the planet. I mean, you're talking about absolute perfection in the Indian cuisine. We used to go, I mean, for birthdays when I was in middle school, that was the place I always wanted to go. Whenever I get a chance to, you know, have a nice occasion, that was the restaurant I would choose. Not too over-the-top fancy or anything. I mean, it was just a regular, you know, normal, average kind of Indian restaurant that just happened to serve damn good food. And we'd go in and, you know, get papadams and samosas and, um, you know, different different uh, appetizers to start off. And then, really, it was the chicken tikka masala and the lalamas. And lalamas is, um, you know, a variation of a curry that uh, is lamb with a lot more spice to it and a, a darker, deeper, thicker sauce that I personally enjoy more. I mean, there's a lot more flavor going on in there. But the chicken tikka masala was a beautiful, mild dish um, that you could get a lot of flavor out of still. So those are the two example restaurants that I have for the episode, and that is what's on the menu today. I know it's a short one, but um, I wanted to dedicate the second half of the episode uh, to be an attempt to honor the man who helped instill a love of food for me, um, since it is my first episode back and we'll be hitting the ground running here soon. Um, I want to tell you about June 4th, 2022, when I went on a small food tour with Hal Hansen, my grandfather. Now, it seems kind of cheesy to be shouting out a family member, but this one is extremely important to me because after two days of feasting with him, he passed away. The love for food runs deep in my family, you know, Hal being no exception. He was an agricultural trader for basically his entire career, working at Cargill for 40 years. He started chicken farms. He ran grand elevators, you name it. Not only was he a big foodie, but he was the perfect human being who showed his love for everybody and wanted nothing more than to make people around him feel loved and happy. And food was one of the ways that he did that. He'd go out of his way for anyone. And is the reason that I wanted to start these podcasts and try and bring people together over common things that people love like food. But let's talk about this food tour and adventure that we had. So Hal, my dad, my brother, and I set out in Naples, Florida, where uh, Hal and my family live, to find the best burger. Ironic, because that was the first episode this podcast series was on, Um, but that's exactly the reason that we set out to do it. We went to four different places, Seed to Table, Jimmy P's, The Continental, and Brooks Burgers, which if you recall, I listed as my number one burger spot in the country on the previous episode. If you want to see my ratings for these different spots, then you're going to have to go follow my personal Instagram or the What's on the Menu podcast Instagram. The first stop was Seed to Table. Seed to Table is a grocery store, but it is unlike any grocery store you have ever been to. I can promise that. It is an absolute party of a place. They have a concert venue area. They have a sports bar inside with like thousands of TVs. They've got the best possible gourmet quality items for sale. They have an ice cream and gelato counter, and then they have an instant grill area. That's where you get the burger. But the whole place is just the coolest atmosphere in the world. You go on a Friday night, Saturday night, and they've got live bands playing, just rocking the whole place. Um, You know, you go watch the football games on Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, whenever. It's just an awesome environment. Really hype place. Now, the burger was slightly disappointing, but great way to start the tour off with that hype environment. Um, But the burger, you know, thicker bun, smaller patty, 
it, it wasn't the greatest. It was still fun. I think I gave it like a six nine or something like that. But um, definitely would need to go back and try it. I think they were having a bad day. Um, but after that, we went to Jimmy P's, which acts kind of like a butcher and a bar and grill stop at the same time. So they you know sell a lot of meats, but they also have a sit down area where you can actually order food and uh, get drinks and whatnot. The burger is damn good. It's very simple. You know, it's it's your typical just meat, bun, cheese kind of deal. Um, it's a quieter atmosphere, not as <laughs> not as crazy of an environment as a seated table. Not the most amazing of ambiances, but the meat quality there is top notch. Some of the best butcher work you can get in the area. Um, so very enjoyable there. You know, after that we went to the Continental, which is a much fancier restaurant in the historic district of Naples. Probably one of the most uh, high, highbrow restaurants in the area. I mean, beautiful outdoor ambiance, beautiful indoor ambiance. They've got a giant bar that's outside, um, greenery all over, trees planted, all, the whole nine yards. Um, and the burger there costs about $25. So people would probably ask, is there a burger that's worth $25? Is it worth it? Depends on how hungry you are and depends on how much you want this particular burger. Now, I mean, because it's $25, obviously it's huge. It's got all the bells and whistles on it. It's got the Thousand Island dressing, gourmet sesame bun, all that kind of stuff, right? It's an awesome burger. And it was actually house favorite of the, of the four that we had. Um, but of course, that was the second last stop because we all knew what, in my opinion, is the best burger in the country. And that is Brooks Burgers. So you know what's going to win me over. Always end on a good note. Even though how I prefer the Continental Burger, we all agreed that all three burgers minus seat to table were pretty close. Um, and then the last two having probably the most tight race. Uh, you know, I think it was two for two wanted the Continental and Brooks Burgers. So, I mean, it was a pretty split, split room on, the, on which is better. But after having a fun night... Uh, or a full day, I guess, going around and trying these different burgers. The next night, had a very wonderful dinner, feasting on cheese fondue um, with Hal, and then it was that night that he passed away in his sleep. So I did get to have um, his last meal with him, and I just wanted to des- dedicate this episode and the remaining episodes that I have uh, coming up to the most perfect man and lover of food, that I know. I'll catch you on the next episode of What's on the Menu soon. Hasta lasagna. Don't get any on you.